The following podcast is a live recording of a radio show first broadcast by Fresh FM with assistance from New Zealand On Air. Good morning, you're on the Deadline Report, care of Ben Vigin and Fresh FM, the greatest little radio station in the South Island, probably all of New Zealand and greater parts of Southeast Asia as well. Why not? Um, this morning, we're at the moment, um, I'm going to, next week, I'm going to turn around and give you a breakdown of the election about what um, I think is going to happen in the next three years. Today, I have a day, this is about, um, I've been thinking about the situation in the Middle East with Israel. And, you know, it's one, normally we do this, we record these shows and, you know, we talk about things that have happened over a period of time and the timeline doesn't really matter. This is a little bit sort of, I wish, uh, you know, if we were doing live, we'd kind of be able to kind of give you up to the date because I think the situation's going to change pretty rapidly. But it isn't, so I'll give you what I can. Um, the first thing is, I have yet to really get in, do a real breakdown of forensically of what actually happened. Um, I get, I get, uh, it's, when, when 9-11 took place on September the 11th, I was actually at home writing the second chapter of my book, State, uh, State Secrets, and looking at the um, finance links of the Al-Qaeda um, and specifically the group that actually would let, carry out the 9-11 attacks. And I was writing about their bank, Al-Taqwa, uh, in Switzerland at the very time when it actually happened. I didn't know at that time that that bank was actually the people responsible for 9-11, although I did have a, a, a pretty damn good idea that something was on its way due to the fact that as on, I think it was October the 12th, June, August, September, June, July, actually July the 12th, I think, I was working at a restaurant with my co-manager, uh, Norm Perre, who's a former member of the Special Air Service, and we uh, had used to have little chats every morning about what we, generally what we thought was going on in the world, and just you know a bit of a warm up before we got into our uh, changed our hats and got into our cooking, chefing, restauranty world. And uh, Norm was saying that um, he knew that um, that he was that Obama there was um, Osama bin Laden was up to some you know big big plan, and um, the FBI you know they were going to they were going to get him. And I was like, oh you know Norm knows if where'd you hear that? He said, oh, you know I originally heard it on Fox and a few other places. And uh, I said, well, look, you know, Norm, Fox have been putting out those FBI warnings for donkey's years. They're not worth the paper they've written on. You know, they're always saying that Osama bin Laden's going to do something and, you know. And he said, oh, no, no, like, and this time I, you know, checked with my mates when he actually meant his, you know, people, friends were still serving in the Special Air Service and pretty much all um, let me know at that point that they were on standby, which, by the way, Mark Sainsbury of 60 Minutes, uh, I think it was Mark six, uh, Sainsbury, but um, that, that, that fact, which I've reported uh, many times, has since then been actually um, vindicated that, yes, they actually were on standby. So on that basis, I said to Norm, well, uh, let's have a look at the newspaper. And on that particular morning in the Dominion Post, there was a, a, um, a huge article. The, the gist of the article was that basically... Um, the West had to be wary of Islamic terrorism being utilised by superpowers to push their own agendas in Afghanistan. Again, (laughs) 
in hindsight, that one didn't actually mean, uh, looked at it when I or whatever, doesn't actually make any relevance to what we're talking about. But on the other side of the page, in the international section, there was a one-inch article by one-inch article which detailed how the Syrians had just pulled 30,000 troops out of Lebanon. And in my little mind, I went, holy, hell, holy Mary, pepper and toast and, and, and all things crackly and spicy. When an army of that size, especially the, the one that's pretty well entrenched, pulls out really quickly, it's normally because they know there's going to be a, you know, a brouhaha and they don't want a pacing and don't want to be caught uh, in the crossfire. So I, I said to, to Norm at the time, seeing that and recognising that was actually a really significant development, I said to Norm, hey, you, 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 you might be onto something here and if it happens, it's going to either happen in the Middle East against a US target uh, and again, my basis for there was uh, the history of Lebanon and the 1981 barracks uh, bombing by the Islamic Jihad. Or it's going to happen in the United States. And if it happens in the United States, it'll be so large you won't be able to miss it. And, and from that point onwards, so that was, you know, I was into uh, basically my next book. And uh, uh, at the time, while I was trying, I knew something was up and I was trying to trail it. And we were getting lots of there were things like there was a, a, a vehicle that was busted on the American border with basically enough explosives in it to actually blow up a, a skyscraper which, again, um, had happened, occurred uh, with the World Trade Centre in 1993, carried out by a guy called Yuzak, uh, Yuzak? Not Yuzak Rabin, he was Israeli Prime Minister. Uh, it'll come to me, no it won't. It's Okay, so this particular chap, uh, the, the, the key significant things about him is that Benir Bazzotto turned around and said that about this gentleman, that, uh, you know, like, uh, he actually isn't really representing Islam at all. What he's representing is the oil men. And what she basically meant was that this guy was a gun for hire. And this is, again, when I was at university doing my studies in political science and specialising specifically on this topic, and, and, and that includes the history of the Middle East and terrorism, um, it became increasingly apparent to me that really the, the way that people think of terrorism is quite naive and it's quite misguided in the sense of it's not baddies like, you know, a, a Mickey Mouse cartoon. <laughs> Take that, boom. Um, the reality is every single terrorist group out there has a sugar daddy. And normally terrorism doesn't take place unless it's geopolitically convenient to do so. So with that all in mind, I... I um, pretty much all knew when 9-11 occurred that what was about to happen was going to be one of the most dirtiest, foul rollout of trickery, deceit, manipulation, power for power's sake, draconianism in the name of security. And I pretty much was right. And my, my forecast for my... Um, both my military experience um, and as my academic, and again, like, you know, I'm not saying I was ever like some SAS super commando, but I did spend six years in the army and, and apply that. So when I look at things academically, morning, just recording at the moment. <laughs> oh, okay, oh, sorry. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so there we are. That's what the, the, the joys of recording out in the, in the open, dodging traffic and listening to brain roosters. Anyway, actually we're going to do is have a little break, uh, but what I actually want to do is come back afterwards and I want to basically talk about the outcomes of 9-11 and why we should really review all these terrorist incidents with great scepticism. And more than that, I want to address the actual evil at, at hand here because what's, what's going on is just, it's vile. It's, it's vile and it takes a special kind of sociopath to think about, to, you know, to cook something up like this.
And I'm obviously talking about the situation in the uh, the Middle East with, with the, in, in terms of Gaza, and I will be getting into that in the, in the next section of the show, which will, I think, and I did last week, I did Armageddon Gaze by Vava. I think I'm going to go Sweet Bird of Prey. Will all the little wars' hands start joining in?
Good morning, you're listening to... <laughs> Anybody else want to have a say? That was Big Red, you're listening to Big Red and Ben Virgin on the Deadline Report. Care of Fresh Air Fam, the greatest little radio station in probably the whole country and many, many parts of Inner Mongolia. <laughs> Thank you, Big Red. Okay, so we're talking today about the issue of terrorism. To sum up, everyday terrorist needs a sugar daddy, um, you normally find that a terrorist attack, the finances aren't just going to go, yeah, go and blow up whatever you want. They're like, there's normally a reason why the sugar daddies give terrorists to money to the terrorists. And the terrorists don't always get money from the people that you think they do. So during, for example, the collapse of the bank of uh, BCCI, uh, the Bank of Credit Commerce and International uh, Bank that was actually largely run by a... Um, organized crime syndicate of a Saudi Pakistani Dubai extraction um, pretty much all the same guys that are causing the shit in the world right now um, or a variation of it but these guys collapsed and to the tune of 20 billion dollars and when they they turned around and uh, actually reviewed their you know accounts and they ordered you know investigating them and ordered their accounts um, actually one of my friends who worked on the BCCI fair uh, they were finding that money to terrorist groups such as the Abdel Nadal organization, a very, very brutal uh, terrorist group that basically spent most of its time killing rival members of the PLO, negotiators that were trying to create peace deals, and civilians. These guys never actually hit. The only time they ever hit an actual hard target was the, the Israeli ambassador in London who was uh, assassinated, I think was shot in the head, and... That led to the first invasion of the Lebanon, the Israeli occupation of Lebanon. Um, and this was in response at the same time to the Ibn which is the popular uprising by the Palestinian people against the Israelis, who also, as part of the little strategy of tactics, proceeded to go to the different university, social, cultural groups um, and recruit from people affiliated with the Hezbollah and the Iranian finance Hezbollah members uh, which would later become known of a terrorist organization known as Hamas. So the group that carried out the attack against the civilians at a peace rally, I mean, for God's sake, a peace rally, were actually originally created by the Israeli. They're, they're a homebrew beast that's much like Osama bin Laden, 
um, come back to either bite them in the ass or actually that was actually never even a question of biting him in the ass. It was like, we actually want this guy to do it. I actually remember a Wall Street Journal article about Osama bin Laden, and it said that at the time, um, it said, uh, you know, if the America's economy was in such recession, it said that if, if Osama bin Laden hadn't come along, they would have had to invent him, meaning basically the boosts and sales they made from weapons, um, the drones that none of us knew about, we'd only vaguely ever seen something like that in movies like The Terminator, um, that, that, and then now they're a household thing we're absolutely used to, we don't even believe twice now when we think about the idea of drones flying over us keeping us under surveillance particularly armed with a surface air missile and some guy in a caravan drinking a coca-cola while he sends some family to oblivion their stocks went up 135 percent on that particular day it's not the first time i've ever seen that i actually once warned alan jones who's the um talkback radio and i briefly worked for him as his private researcher when i was working in in australia and i was also working for banks at the time as a researcher and I pretty much all, you know, noted that there was a huge uh, surge in uh, funds for x-ray machines and effectively warned them uh, of, of a terrorist attack that was likely to occur during the Atlantic Olympics. And um, at the same time, we had Flight 0800 and the Atlanta uh, bombing. So again, yes, somebody saw an opportunity to make money in the stock market because they knew this event was going to take place. And that's exactly what happens. That's modern terrorism for you. It's not some little guy in a tent going, Mahahaha! it's actually big business. And, you know, like when you look at, for example, when the uh, Mumbai attack took place and, and, and the official narrative of that to this day is just ridiculous. It's, I mean, it's absurd. They say that 10 people basically managed to shut down all of Mumbai, a city of 1 million people, rowing, ran assassinations, roving ambushes. The, the, the skill of arms, these guys would each have to be their own 007 at levels, that level, to pull it off. It couldn't, it couldn't have been done. And when you've got the BBC reporting an article in the Leopold Cafe describing five individual witnesses, first names, first names, last name, you can all verify that these people actually did exist, describing uh, at the time of the attack, a blonde European and an Asian gentleman with a mohawk pulling out weapons and joining in the shooting. You know, nobody ever came back to that story, but it was fully, absolutely bonafide. And at the same time, when that was all going on, the European Union was actually looking to discuss a, a new economic measure which would be backed by uh, Southeast Asian um, minerals and Middle Eastern oil. So not really that dissimilar from the BRICS movement that is actually to been taking place at the moment. Israel uh, was increasingly being enticed into the uh, BRICS. There was uh, very, very senior negotiations on China for a peace uh, deal in the Middle East, which, again, our Western-centric newspapers made zip all mention of it, but actual fact, this was actually taking place. Um, the economic incentives for both Palestine and Israel uh, were enormous, and so they were quite keen to do this. And yes, it did actually look like, and in fact, there was lots of encouragement for, at that point, for the peace movements within Israel. Another, another little thing I'll just drop, drop in with you is that Israel is having huge economic problems at the moment, and they're also having huge social problems, of course, mostly because the current guy, Benjamin Netanyahu, is a, basically, he's a crook. He's an outright crook. He should be in jail, and yet because of the control that the uh, Knesset has, and there's an interesting group that was actually originally founded uh, by the, well, the Ugon Stern basically got control of the, that's a terrorist organisation, an Israeli terrorist uh, um, separatist movement, um, that got control of the Ugon Stern and they've largely kept control of it uh, when 
in reality was the peace negotiations of, of Israel and Arab worlds um, and the way that the structure was originally was going to, the government was going to be Hanar based left and these were largely made up of Jews that had been through the persecution of um, at Nazi Germany and I, I often wonder about what would have happened if the Ugon Stern hadn't actually wiped out the Hanar, literally, they, they murdered most of their leaders and shilled the people, and the, in fact, Yitzhak Rabin, the man that later would be assassinated himself, uh, was one of the people that pulled the lanyard um, that sunk a civilian cruiser which had arms for the Hanar and, and key leadership members in it as well. Uh, I often wonder what would have happened if the Hanar had actually taken over. I think there would have been a completely different Middle Eastern story. The, the Neset was largely taken over by Jews from Eastern Europe that really didn't have the um, same wartime experience as the Hana. And in actual fact, the Hana, the Ugon Stern, had actually had made overtures to Nazi Germany on several occasions, basically saying, well, we side with you, we get rid of England, can, you know, can we have Israel? And then everyone's happy. Um, so a, a group born in violence, and that really didn't ever evolve beyond that. With the Israel, the situation with the uh, the BRICS set was that they, the steel where they were basically going to be going, Cool, yeah, cool, we're all, all in the bricks, which would have meant that America, the US would have lost a very powerful ally in the Middle East. Basically, one ally that had gone, well, actually, we're following the money, and it's been sweet, but we're out of here now. At the same time, just before that peace, that attack occurred in Gaza on the peace rally, um, I mean, just the... I'm going to come back to that. I've got to, I've got to say something about that statement. I'm going to probably finish up. But just before that attack took place, the U.S. Air Force uh, fleet that were actually in Israel departed. So the, you know, the, just just like I said to you beforehand, when I noticed the 30,000 troops pull out, um, that to me is a sign of some significant. Somebody knew there was intelligent development occurring, and it's a bit odd. You think you know under the context that you think normally that it would be another way around that. American troops would have been pouring into their good old buddy Israel, but no, no, they they, they pulled out and left Israel to, to their own devices. And I wonder how this is going to play out now. The issue is one of hate. This is the thing. This is the thing that really, really, really goes goads me. That attack on the civilian peace people peace and the idea of women being bodies being dragged around in the open and. It just, it you know, my heart goes out to the not just the my heart goes out to the world. This is this is this is abhorrent. This is this is this is evil people using stupid and evil people to carry out an attack that's kind of designed to make us feel angry and outraged and want payback and we want to get they want to make us to hate and they want us to make them turn around and carry on the bloodshed and we can't afford to. That's the reality, boys and girls. Okay. This war, this what's happening in the Middle East may actually spill out to a full-on nuclear engagement. If we don't turn around and start actually making peace our priority, and that and with with peace means I'm not just talking like oh let's let's no longer let's wave hands at each other. I'm talking about all wars. All have to stop. We can't afford the re the resources alone which we are blowing on this. Trillion dollars, trillions of dollars in weapons every year. That, that's that's the planet fixed. That's people educated. That's everyone not having to actually hate each other. And no, we can't do that. So instead, we've got a climate change policy, which doesn't even mention war once. So good luck with trying to save the planet. 
you know, because at the end of the day, that's where all our resources are going, and they're going there, and they've been squandered, and they're creating debt, and they're creating famine, and they're creating misery in a world which none of these things should exist. And all so that a few individuals, and that's what we're talking about now, 0 0.50, sorry, correction, 0.1, percent of the population now controls 50% of the resources and it's largely coming about because of, an, of, an, uh, of a, a system which is designed to make us be rivals, it's focused on, on a monetary system where it's basically about success is based on this, this economic model that to be successful you've got to make more and more than you did every year which you cannot do, it's physically not sustainable. So the human race has to bloody well grow up and it has to start getting realistic. And the funny thing is I found in my entire 35 years of doing all of this is that, you know, the people that are the dreamers, the ones that actually come up with, oh, no, we can't possibly do that, they're not, they're the ones that actually are the realists. It's the vast majority of these lunatics at the top that are just delusional and they're only focused purely on their own narcissistic self. They're killing us. They're killing us and they're making us hate each other. And I'm I'm so, so sorry to, to all those people who went to that peace rally and were there because they really believed in the better part. And that is actually who we are. What, what creates people to go out and actually pick up a gun and kill another person and brutalize another? That is not normal. It is not normal. And the only way it happens is when you get polarization taking place and, and when you are living in an environment where the system is not transparent or is not accountable and you're not getting decent, relied information, you know, that's that's what breeds all this, you know, they talk about, oh, the, the haters and the post-truthers. And it's like, this is what leads the situations. When you want to stomp, that, uh, stomp out that stuff, then start actually presenting us with media that is able to deal with t difficult topics because it's funded correctly, and as opposed to this, you look at look at the, look go look at how much truth does the government value. Go and have a look at how much money they spend on current affairs in New Zealand, and then come back and tell me how much that's how much they value the truth. Bollocks. Okay, they're not showing you programs out there that are teaching you properly how to read a newspaper. They're not showing you programs that give you proper proper civic understanding and, and stimulate a proper intelligent adult conversation. They're doing stuff which is designed to keep us in our base, our hate, our, our fight and flight mode. And this is why these things, like what's happened in, the, in Israel, are able to happen to occur, because they keep pushing our buttons. And we've got, we've got to wake up and we've got to stop letting them do that. We've got to see through the veneer. Okay? Nothing is like it's portrayed in the media. There is not goodies and baddies. There is whole shades of more complicated than that. And we've, got, we've just got to start being a little bit more sophisticated than we are. Anyway, well, have a good weekend. Uh, I love you all and I love, I love my country and I love my planet. And I just love love and I think we need to give it a chance. So I'm going to go out with love actually.
The podcast you just listened to was a live recording of a radio show, first broadcast on Fresh FM with support from New Zealand On Air. Fresh FM is a community access media station based in Te Tauihu, the top of the South Island, New Zealand. The funding of Access Media makes these podcasts possible. To find similar programs by other community access media stations, go online to accessmedia.nz. If you or your group would like to know more about how you can have a program on our station, please contact us. Visit our website freshfm.net for our contact details.